know that there's always a threat against me as long as I'm standing up for this. The alternative would have been the site keeps going. And not only me, but the countless other victims of this site who get harassed relentlessly every single day would have to continue through that nightmare. A website that long was a place that spawned transphobia and was a thorn in the side of trans people around the world is silent, at least for now. Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the convergence of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And we begin this week with a big league shout out to someone who's shown a lot of guts and a lot of grit. A Canadian named Clara Sorrenti. Or Kiffles, if you're close to the Twitch world. She was tired of running from her attackers. She instead faced them down. A shout out to her and to all those who stood alongside her and together fought to pull Kiwi Farms down. Kiffles was interviewed on CNN on Tuesday night by journalist Donnie O'Sullivan. In that interview, she met the news that Kiwi Farms was sinking to the bottom, not with gloating, but with grace. What is your message? to the people who are doing this too. I don't blame them really because Really. Yeah. They got roped into a hate group. And once you get deep enough inside one of these things, it's really hard to get out. I want to show them more compassion than they've ever shown me. For many of us, Kiwi Farms leaves a bad taste. Yours truly included. I was one of the people who, whose name was mentioned by them, and not in a good way. They called me everything but a child of God, just like they did a lot of trans people, great and small, who happen to have a platform. But what you've seen for years with Kiwi Farms is a symptom of a larger disease, a larger issue. It's an issue that has reared its head just because a trans person won a sport or won a game show or won a billiards tournament. It rears its head in the over 200 pieces of anti-trans legislation that have been put up in state legislatures from Maine to Maui. Alejandro Caraballo of the Harvard Law School Cyber Law Project was right here on the Transporter Rune in June and told us things like this were coming because they showed how far the rabbit hole goes. In the intervening months since I've been on this show, there's been the groomer libel. With Groomer, I got called a pedo on Twitter today. <laughs> I, it's every day at this point. Yeah, and now I read on your Twitter about gays against groomers. This this groomer like libel started by attacking the tr trans community. That's where this started, and nobody was saying anything in February, in March, April, and May. It took 
31 neo-Nazis getting arrested at a Pride event for the media to finally start taking this seriously. And I've had like a few media requests and interviews already over the last few last, last week of like, what's going on in this space? And I'm like, yeah, y'all are kind of like a few months late to this story. Like this has been building and it's just, it's the typical mainstream media. We've been calling it out. We've been documenting this rise in this, this smear and this propaganda and it it literally took uh, attempted violence, mass violence, for people to finally sit up and say, "Oh, this has gotten out of hand." And it's it shouldn't take thirty one neo Nazis in the back of a U haul getting arrested for well, for us to be taken seriously. Well, they ignored two hundred bills too. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And, and that leads us to our first guest here at the transporter room. There's been as we said, a lot of talk about trans rights, free speech, not just it with the situation with Kiwi Farms, but throughout this entire, this year, really. Whether, I mean, after all, we've sat through and we've slogged through the, the Leah Thomas debacle. We slogged through Emily Bridges and the endless amount of legislation, which is only going to pile up higher and higher and we're going to get dig deeper and deeper into it as we head into this very contentious election season. So this week, we decided let's bring in a journalist to help make heads or tails of it all. And there are a few journalists, trans or cis, in the landscape who are doing it at the level of Morgan Archikina. Archikina is an activist a journalist and comes from and comes at things from a radical to revolutionary standpoint which is something that you may not get in the mainstream press but I feel that a lot of people need to hear what's being said especially what she's writing at covert action and that's why I'm glad to beam up someone who I respect as a journalist but I also respect as a dear friend and a comrade here to the transporter room beaming up from Washington DC Morgan Artikina welcome to the transporter room energize Hi, thanks for having me. This is so great. Well, it's always it's always good to have a different perspective from what you normally hear. And just first, just just on raw emotion, for gut reaction, what's your thoughts on what's happened with the Kiwi Farms debacle, but also how it's been covered? Yeah, well, I mean, the Kiwi Farms issue is very is very personal for me in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, I've I've had my name dragged through that website before, um, and uh, those people in particular, you know, um, are responsible for the suicide of a very good friend of mine, uh, whose name was Chloe Segal, back in twenty eighteen, and uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 really scary to see the kind of like violence that, that these people are capable of organizing, you know, and how long it took to get anything done about it. Um, I mean, it's just one website, you know, um, but it's a particularly evil one. And I am really glad to see it down. We wrote an article together about these things and what we're seeing in the landscape now. And another recent article that you wrote for Liberation News talking about talking about how the working class is fighting back. Talk about this article a little bit, because you make a serious connection to 
all these anti-trans bills, and for example, what we're seeing in the the situation we're seeing in Jackson, Mississippi, right now. You talking about the one that you and I wrote, or the one that just came out? No, the one that just came out. I want to get in on that okay. first because that's really talking about a lot of these links that a lot of people may not see. And there's another thing that you've put out there recently that talks about, well, I mean, you are seeing a direct correlation between all this anti-trans bills and people trying to push all this anti-trans hysteria and the complete neglect of the average person, be it, be it climate, be it things like climate legislation, be it relief in these times, Two years into COVID, to what you're again, what you're seeing in Mississippi right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all it's it's crazy out there. It's all they talk about. We are all that they talk about, all they think about, and and everything is our fault. And and uh, and there, I mean, it's gone from you know stupid to now it's passing laws and stuff. And obviously, there's been the laws getting passed in the states, but like last month, you had Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, in the House introducing this bill, which is not going to go anywhere, but is really scary because of what it, you know, the the, the future that it kind of hints at, which would have. Uh, made it a felony to give to give trans kids um, gender affirming medical care. Uh, it would have banned the teaching of any kind of like medical transition anything at like medical schools and stuff. Like it was it was really heinous. It would have I think it would have banned insurance companies from covering. I can't remember all the stuff that it did, but it was it was really really heinous. And I mean, she got like ten Republican co sponsors, but like. And obviously, like, that's something that she does is, like, I think she, like, she's, you know, tried to impeach Biden multiple times. And, like, all like she just kind of passes or, or, or introduces bills that she are just kind of her little pet peeves about whatever. Um, but it's in the context of what else is happening right now, which is, in addition, you have all the bills being passed in uh, in states and stuff. But you also have these these just really, like, almost genocidally hostile uh, policies in Texas, where you've got, you know, trans kids who are being taken from their parents by child protective services, because the governor has used an executive order to not even an executive order, rather, it was just just a reinterpretation of a rule to say, well, now we're going to regard, um, you know, affirming your child's gender as child abuse because we say so. And this is this policy policy was so extreme that the, the the extreme right wing Texas legislature wouldn't even pass the bill. It was that extreme and that heinous. They went and did it anyway, um, but with, with by changing a rule. And now you have kids getting taken from their parents. You have kids attempting suicide because they're afraid they're going to be taken from their parents. Like it's 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 insane you know in florida uh they just dropped um they they they, they state medical board um redefined trans medical care even for adults as experimental uh using that change they had medicaid drop all trans related procedures Nine thousand transgender floridians immediately lost all their health care and uh and you know so 
you can't even talk about it in schools because you know don't say gay. It's kind of the original which spot is, for that. Like, don't, don't say trans. Let's just get real about exactly. what that is. It's yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, if when you listen, when you look at what they're talking about uh, in terms of why they justify that. It's all about we don't want the transgender ideology, quote unquote, spreading. Like that's something that that Ron DeSantis said is it's all about the transgender ideology. Like he said, so it's not like we're making it about us or something. They're making it about us. Um, the whole groomer thing, you know, started with Christina Pushaw, his spokesperson, who said that people who are against don't say gay are pro groomer. That's how that started back in the spring. And then, of course, Fox News took it and ran with it. And now it's, you know, OK, groomer this and and you got, you know, fascist storming drag queen story hours and stuff. And and you got Marjorie Taylor Greene saying she's going to save the kids, you know, and whatever. Like it's building up into this moral hysteria. And like I said, it's all they think about anymore. You had people trying to say that the Uvalde shooter was trans. You had people saying that, like, you know, the flooding is probably caused by trans people like, I'm, you know, it's it's it you name it you know low test scores probably trans people's fault you know like it's it's they're blaming everything on us and because they're just with this weird obsession with it with us so now which i mean i get it we're incredible but like <laughs> that doesn't mean <laughs> well, but that doesn't mean we need to be you know the scapegoat for the world's sins either well that's one thing you talked about recently in an article in um in covert action well, you're talking about just the, the how the monkeypox virus has been weaponized now. And now that hysteria, especially in this election year, where do you think that will go? How much mileage do you think that will get? Well, I don't know how much they're really going to do in terms of like an official policy, you know? I mean, they got, of course, like I talked about in that article, they already got all these... Um, uh rules about you know like um they're 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 primarily like testing and vaccinating people for monkeypox who are you know w what they consider to be men who have sex with men um or like trans which includes in their categorization transgender women um and whatever uh, and, you know, even though there's really no reason and, and you have health authorities out there from the World Health Organization to the African CDC, you know, who are saying that, that it's absurd to, to tie monkeypox to homosexuality or, or whatever, because there's nothing unique about what gay or trans people do that spreads it. Like, it's, it's just like with AIDS, you know, the, uh, so... So it's, it's, and it's frustrating because like, I've gotten into arguments with people who are like leading, like, you know, health reporters at the New York Times, Washington Post or wherever. And they're totally on this boat because they think that anybody who questions what the CDC says about monkeypox is no different than like a COVID disinformation type person. And that's, you know, so, so they won't hear it. They, 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 they won't hear it. So, I mean, I think that, I think that, in the coming months, it's going to become quite evident if monkeypox continues to spread. Um, I think it's going to become quite evident that like a, a, a gay only approach is going to be is, is going to be nonsense. Um, but I think that I think that 
there, the, the danger of, the, the, as I talk about that article, the danger of that policy is really ultimately that it, it's like, it's like you're screening the goalie, right? Like it's the, it's, you're, 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 you're blinding the people who need to see what's going on to what the real situation is and it's going to sneak up on you. And then there's going to be this enormous, and there's a, probably already is quite a large, much larger infection uh, uh, spread than they know about because they're only testing us. They think it's only us. And so you have people who actually have the symptoms who go to get tested and they can't even get tested. You know, they can't get vaccinated against it. And so it, that to me is what the danger is in terms of like the policy side. But there is also this other side, which is, as you said, it's just becoming another, you know, thing to attack us for the fascists are like, whatever. Like, okay, I'll give you a real quick example. Um, I saw some photos from a protest outside of like, I think it was a drag queen story hour or a drag bar, something related to that. And they had their signs up, you know, about, you know, anti-gay, whatever, it's a sin, goes against God, carnal, blah, blah, blah. One of them said, uh, danger, monkeypox hot zone or something like that 50 feet away. You know, like it was, is that that kind of thing. So, so I think it's just going to be another, yet another way to demonize people. There are already people being attacked, gay people being attacked, you know, and, and called, you know, monkeypox F word, blah, blah, blah. So like, it's just going to be just another way to demonize us in the minds of people who are looking for an excuse to do that. Well, switching gears to sports, like I said earlier, okay. we wrote an article in Liberation News together about about this hysteria and how it's being you and how it's being used against against the average person at large. And since that article, it's a, a lot's happened. Since that article, we've had well, for starters, the just the general your thoughts on the general hysteria and seeing that you're around where the lawmakers are. How much, for example, Leah Thomas, how much fear was there Leah Tom or about Leah Thomas among lawmakers, among regulators, where you are? Well, um, I mean, I don't really hang out with them a whole lot, <laughs> you know, so uh, I kind of live in the regular folks part of part of D.C. Um, I do my best to avoid folks like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, like Leah Thomas, um, aroused so much, so much fear in men, uh, especially you had the most like demure, you know, petite trans woman, um, you know, they, they would just, they would, you know, they would just, they would just flip it on its head and just attack her with the same way that they would attack a cis woman probably. But then, but you know, but then. They, they, they attack us for the way that they do. Um, I mean, it reminds me, we, as, as we talked about in our article, you know, back in the day, cis, cis women athletes were the ones who got the same thing that Leah Thomas is getting now, uh, as, as, as did have many of the other trans athletes that they have, you know, been, has been kind of their villain of the week on, on, um, on Fox news or whatever. So, uh, you know, they, they accused them of being, you know, mannish or half men, quote unquote. They s said they were secretly lesbians. You know, they said that they would like lose their fertility or it would even like damage their uterus or something like that. If they played sports or even if they just ran, you know, like there is, it's, it's always been 
women's athletics has always been weaponized against women. Uh, and, uh, and since trans women are women, weaponizing, uh, you know, misogyny against trans women athletes is the same thing. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same old tricks, just kind of with a, with a new little veneer on it. Why does it work in your mind? Why does this work? Because textbook example in the, you, I mean, you had cyclists who were accomplished elite level athletes, Olympic medal winners saying, um, we don't want any part of Emily Bridges. When Emily has shown herself to be eligible and hadn't even put a wheel on the track yet, why does this work so well? And you and you talked about it in the article why it works. Um, you and I wrote that article a year and a half ago. I gotta remember what we said. Um, I mean, a big part of it is they these are just people who hate women, you know. And and they're dedicated to this idea that women are inferior, that women are physically inferior, that they're incapable of, of competing on the equal grounds with men. You know, I don't know if you remember when you and I were we were so we were planning that article. We were talking to like the editors, we were talking to Joyce and, and them. And like there one of the things that came up was basically like they were like, we remember when Title IX was first like introduced and they created, you know, rather than creating um because there wasn't any girls sports at that time really or like they were kind of very very inferior um and and there was kind of this you know are they going to combine them and we'll just have a baseball league you know or, or they're going to be the men's and women's baseball league or or whatever it is and that there was kind of this feeling among a lot of women at the time that they separated the two because men didn't want the embarrassment of getting schooled by a female athlete you know and and uh I, I mean, I think I think it's interesting because like today you have this kind of there's been a kind of a recent trend of like women going to the gym more and kind of bulking up more. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I think that's really interesting because like, like I was like like I was saying earlier, like 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 we had talked about, there was this all always this like idea that like women are inferior. So they therefore they shouldn't go work out. But also like women, like this idea of like a sexual dimorphism between men and women is maintained in large part, like ideologically by the fact that men are allowed to bulk up and encouraged to bulk up and become, you know, big and muscular. And that's like proof of their thing. Whereas if a woman was to do that, she would be judged as being non-feminine, you know, uh, masculine or whatever. Um, even though she's still, you know, a cisgender woman. They would use that against any of us. After I've said it. Often, trans the transphobes believe that one transgender women aren't women, and cisgender women suck at sports. And most re- a perfect example, because I want to get your take on this, because we talked about this in the article just days ago. We celebrate the end of one of the great careers in any sport. Serena Williams was eliminated at the third round of the U.S. Open, and and with that, closing the curtain on a great career perhaps the greatest in her sport. Yet she too was a target of transphobia. Mm-hmm. Because remember, if you're if you're a black if you're black or brown and you're good in sport, someone might just call you a man. I remember a tennis official who for a federa- for a, a federation called her and Venus Williams brothers. 
I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Your I mean your thoughts on how that plays in to what we're talking about and also how this plays into the neglect on other issues because of what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, I think what that really does is is and and her experience and also um you know, like Castor Semena and and these and 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 a lot of cis women, um, um, cis black women who are at, you know been excluded from the Olympics because of these anti-trans things. You know, like that's basically what the Olympic International Committee has said is like Castor Semena is not le is not considered a woman, and and that's just that's insane, you know. But I think. I mean, I think that the attacks on on Serena Williams and the, and the attacks uh, on on them and the, it's it 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 really highlights how this is kind of a much larger intersectional issue um, because it's not just a hatred of trans people; it's also white supremacy. It's also um, violence against black people. It's also the demonization and the racist stereotypes that go into that. And that's because these, both of these things are part of a single capitalist system that is responsible for all of our troubles, you know? And that's like we talk about in the article. It's a, it's the same reason that you have, it's, it's ironic because at the time we were writing Jackson, Mississippi had been out of water, I think for three weeks by that point, they had like a boil water advisory, you know, at that point, And we made the point that, you know, Tate Reeves's priority was getting, was banning trans kids from trans girls from sports and, and banning trans healthcare and stuff. And, you know, South Dakota, you had, um, you, you know, they, they couldn't get it to the legislature. So she, um, so, uh, governor executive, order. Using executive yeah. order. Meanwhile, you have the hot at the time, it was early 2021. You had the highest COVID death rate, uh, among native Americans in South Dakota, uh, on some of those reservations, it was the highest death rate on the planet from COVID-19 chronic malnutrition, uh, on, on the reservations you have, um, you know, chronic poverty the, the that's what these people's concerns are you know texas you have an electrical grid that's falling apart you have houston's going to be underwater you know you have people don't have insulation in their homes you know to 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 withstand these freak winter storms and what is their priority their priority is banning people from getting abortions and stealing trans kids from their parents like where do you get off that that's what your concern is you know i mean that's what their priority are right, right? their priority is maintaining rule for a certain group of people and and keeping everybody else divided so that they can't fight among members of the nato alliance who's the more transphobic head of state victor orban or liz truss i'm going to say orban and i'm going to say orban because um as awful as Liz Truss is, and you know it, how much I hate Liz. I have railed against Liz Truss for years. All right, by the way, um, those who don't for know, many, many reasons. for those who don't know, she's a new prime minister of the of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland now. She's the UK's new head she's of state. A foreign minister. She used to be the equalities minister. And so she was the equality equalities minister who didn't think that trans women were women and didn't think that the uh, Equality Act was worth revising. Uh, and she was the foreign minister who didn't know that Voronezh and Rostov regions are part of Russia. Uh, and um, 
got, I mean, Sergey Lavrov walked out of a press conference with her because he was like, this woman's an idiot. <laughs> uh, so, you know, like, like, you're not the only it, one saying that <laughs> she's, she's such an embarrassment. Like it's, it's so funny too, because like, I thought Boris Johnson was the biggest embarrassment Britain could have, could have chosen. Like it was kind of a little bit of like Donald Trump level, like shock value of like, oh, this is the this is the 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 level of barrel scraping we're doing now. Um, the fact that Liz Truss, I mean, not that Rajvi Sunak is any better, but like Liz Truss is just somebody who just really grinds my gears in a very very special way. Um, but yeah, yeah. So like Victor Orban, like to get to Victor Orban because, and I I say him because I think in his transphobia there is a a vastly more developed kind of kind of rounded philosophy to it that is kind of what I was just talking about. Like in Orban's conception, trans people, gay people, Romani, Jews, and Arab migrants are all part of the same group of people, which is threats to the Hungarian nation, um, which has a low birth rate. So, uh, so that, and that's, that's, or been articulated in in his philosophy, in his kind of you know political philosophy, and 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 in the 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 the, the ruling party around him. So that's that's a very conscious and developed thing, and I think it's important to highlight how a lot of the really kind of rampant and and energetic anti LGBTQ attitudes in Eastern Europe but also in places like Central Africa, around like the Great Lakes region and stuff, like a lot of this stuff is being cooked up um, and encouraged by American evangelicals uh, who have a really big, like you want to talk about like in Russia and Chechnya, Romania, uh, Hungary, uh, Uganda, Rwanda, you know, this uh, Eastern Congo, uh, you know, a lot uh, Nigeria, a lot of these places um, there's, there's this really kind of, um, energetically anti-gay, um, anti-trans politics that has come about in the last 20 or 30 years. And that's the result of these evangelical groups who are very consciously doing that. And there are these direct ties. Uh, and so I have to laugh sometimes when people are like, oh, the Republican National Convention, you know, held its 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 meeting this year in Budapest. Yeah, CPAC uh, went to Budapest. You know, yeah, CPAC you know, went to Budapest. Like, oh, well, this is proof that, like, you know, um, Putin controls Orban and, and, and Orban controls the GOP and Putin, therefore, controls the GOP. And, you know, they try to turn that turn it around on its head and say that this is proof that these connections are proof that the Russians are driving American transphobia when actually the shoe's on the other foot. It's the American evangelicals who are coming after us here who are also encouraging um, conservatives in these other countries to incorporate a, a energetic homophobic attitude into their own brand of religious conservatism. They're teaching them how to use do demagoguery the right way, quote unquote, to, to you know, maintain the type of control control over their societies that conservatives have over our society here the conservative movement there sees that as a good thing all right like like when i think about like arrow cross like so i've been to budapest before and i'm jewish and there is a monument in budapest to the um 
uh, it's called the Shoes Along the Danube Bank, and it's it's um, it's a monument to the roughly twenty thousand Jews of Budapest who were shot in mass and their bodies dumped into the Danube River uh, um, by the by the Arrow Cross when uh, when Budapest pride was uh, attacked by fascists, as it is every year, but they were attacked especially by fascists back in around 2008, which was around the time that this monument was put in. The fascists that attacked them, they were throwing bricks and sandbags and crap like that and rocks, and they were chanting, um, Jews into the Danube, queers after them. That's really kind of what Orban is a part of. He's a part of that. He's a Catholic. He's a very he, he's he's not an evangelical, but he is a Catholic, and there is a very very direct bridge between the American Catholics and the the branch of Hungarian Catholicism that he is kind of a, you know part of politically. And of course, Orban came back here. Yeah, he spoke at that CPAC meeting recently. We ran some of the bites here at the transporter room, and he sounded like a he sounded like. Uh, an evangelical-powered American conservative can congressional or Senate candidate. Yeah. He sounded yeah. like that. I'm just wondering, with all this, switching gears, because you're coming in the home stretch, Okay, with all the things that you're hearing, and all, and, uh, like, we've worked together in the past, known each other for a minute, and we've seen how this develops, and how this happens, and it was good... And we try and bring some hammer and sickle in the conversation from time to time. <laughs> where do you find where do you find the trans joy? Where do you find that? What I really love to see is I really love to see people fighting back. You know? Because it's it, and, and there are many, many ways to fight back. You know, there is marching in the street with a sign. You know, there is showing up and putting your bodies on the line. Um, but it is also, um, it is also organizing in other ways, you know, it is because when, when you think about the challenges that trans people face, like there are the laws and the, and the bills and the policies, but it's also things like, uh, and, and there are the, the, the fascist attacks, you know, the, at the drag bars or at, um, you know, drag queen story hour, or an, even now at, you have healthcare clinics, uh, Boston Children's Hospital, you know, getting death threats and um, Children's Hospital in D.C. and stuff like that. Like, and all that is severe, you know, all that is real. And there are people fighting against that out in um, Modesto, California. Last weekend, maybe two weeks ago, there was like a straight pride thing, right? You know, where these people, the Proud Boys show up and they march and say, we're so proud, we're straight. Uh, you know, and uh, and whatever. And like, you know, there was many more queer people and, and supporters of queer people who came out to, mar to, to march, you know, in support of, in defense of LGBTQ people. And that's vitally important. But, like, there's so many other types of organizing, too. Like, you think about, like, what, what we face in terms of, like, you know, losing our housing, you know. We're, mu we're at much more risk of becoming homeless or being evicted. You know, trans women on average make 60% of the pay that cisgender men make for the same positions, you know, like, um, so there's, there's, there's so much, there, there, there's so much out there that is, that, that people are like organizing and fighting back against, uh, uh, organizing against and fighting back against that is, that is so, so important. Uh, to like kind of all of the aspects of trans existence. And so 
what I really get a joy from is I, I, I enjoy seeing people fighting back and, 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 and the, the change of consciousness that comes not just from people doing that, but from people seeing that happen. Cause I think it's easy to see all these attacks and get disheartened and think, you know, what can we do? We're 1% of the population. Look how many people hate us, you know, like, do we have any friends? And then these things happen. And it's like, Oh, we do have friends, you know, we have people, we have comrades, we have, we have allies. And, but also we're not just people to whom history happens. We're not people to whom things happen. We're active agents. We take part in the struggle. We can fight these things. We can block these things. And seeing that empowerment, seeing that awaken in people's eyes and, and seeing the, the, um, the fear fade into courage is the most important thing to me. Hearing those words, it's like it's like holding the torch up and just lead, and just continuing to march on. Morgan Artikina, thank you, comrade, for being on the transporter room this week. And hey, you keep the fight going. Thank you, and thank you, and, and you too. It's been such a great joy to be on here with you. Now I'm gonna bit Morgan gonna beam you back down to Washington D.C. because you're hearing the red alert question right now, and you know what that means. Got to take a break. Give love to the sponsors. But when we come back, we're going to have a dear friend of the show who hasn't been back in a while, but now they're back and they're going to talk about change, what comes next, and being a trans refugee in America in 2022. I'm Carly Chardonnay, Webb at the Transporter Room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And continuing forward this week, a special guest who is, a I consider, not only a friend of the show, but also a dear friend in her own right. Two years ago, we introduced you to a soccer referee who's trans and proud from Missouri named Jacqueline Harper-Grubb. Well, a lot's happened to Jacqueline Harper-Grubb since she came on the transporter room. A new address, a new place to live, and, and a new calling in a sport that is known best for inclusion. The upside of this story is, is that Jacqueline is out, proud, and loving life. But there's also the other side of the story. Jacqueline is one of many trans people in our country right now who have gone, who have had to, in a sense, be refugees in their own land. As more and more people are pulling up stakes from states that are saying that they won't affirm trans rights to move to ones that do. And we're beaming her up to tell a piece of that story, but also to talk about. Life, being out, and also talking a little bit of sports. Jacqueline Harper-Grubb, beaming you up from your new digs in New England. Welcome to the Transporter Room Energize. Hello, how are we doing today? 
Hey, we are doing great and good seeing your face around these parts again. Like I said, friend of the podcast. So, Jacqueline, let's play catch up here for a second. What's been going on? Well, quite a bit, actually. Um, yeah, you, you, you mentioned that um, kind of a refugee in the own country. Yeah, we decided uh, last year to start planning a move to Massachusetts. We did that move from Missouri um, up here to Massachusetts back four months ago, back at the end of April, 1st of May. Um, all leading up to that, let me go a little further back to not long after I was on the show previously, two years ago, uh, I reached out to some uh, people in Missouri, uh, reached out to some local representatives, did some testifying in front of state the state house against anti-trans bills, which Missouri just continuously tends to bring up multiple times. Um, had some good conversations, but you know, Missouri just was headed in, in, in the wrong direction. Um, still is. I saw a lot of personal success uh, in regards to refereeing. Um, I was moving my way up, was getting all the way up to U19 games, was getting uh, ECNL level games, uh, things like that, which are elite club games. Um, but I just couldn't handle the the pressures of Missouri and, and the supermajority that has, has control of, of Missouri right now. And, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon. Um, so about um, a year ago, I guess it was about a year ago in June, whenever the pandemic was I'm not going to say easing up for lack of a better word. My wife and I decided to take a honeymoon up to Massachusetts, um, visited several towns, and we fell in love with the place. Absolutely fell in love with Massachusetts and New England and and decided to make it a new home for us and, and made that our target not long after we got back. And, you know, here we are. <laughs> uh, um, it's still a little bit surreal four months later, finally getting into uh, into a place and making it our own and 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 now i just feel like that hope it feels a little bit of a weight lifted off my shoulders in a way that i'm not always looking over my shoulder looking wondering what's going to happen next what's going to come next that was um always a concern for me in missouri but uh yeah everybody's been wonderful up here um it's been absolutely wonderful up here. I'm, we're loving it. Now, what were your feelings at the time when you were packing up, pulling up stakes, and leaving the state you were born, leaving the state that you lived in, leaving the state where your family is mm -hmm. to make this move? A little bit of excitement, a little, little bit of fear. Well, let me put it this way, a lot of fear. I've never lived out of the state of Missouri <laughs> until now. Um, and, but knowing that I'm going to, I was coming to a state where there are legal protections for myself, my wife, my kids. Um, 
a state where there's health, better health care for me. I went from a state, and here's a great example. The state of Missouri is ranked 42nd in the country in health care. Massachusetts is ranked two in the country. And I've seen the difference. It's a completely different world. But the fear of just being away, being 1,200 miles away from my family, from my, um, my mother. I mean, I'm an only child. My mother's an only child. Outside of my wife and my kids, that's all the family I've got left. But I needed it. I needed the fresh start. Now, but before you moved here, one thing is you said before you moved, made the move east, when you were in Missouri, as you came forward and came into your own, you not only found your voice on the pitch as an official, you found your voice off of it. And in a sense, you got, you got into the struggle a little bit. I felt like that it was something I needed to do. Um, I, felt, I felt like I was doing something for my own kid. I, I mean, I've got a, my oldest child identifies as non-binary. So I felt like I was doing something for them, felt like I was doing something for the other kids within my state at the time, within the country, to speak up and, and, and do this. Because at the time, what was that, 2021 is when it was, March 2021, the attacks were flying left, right, and center <laughs> across the country. That year, I believe, Missouri had 13 to 15 anti-LGBTQ bills proposed. And uh, this was the big one because it was going to, it was going to do what Texas did uh, this past year and, and things like that. And testifying and hearing um, other parents of trans people and, and even hearing um, Chase Strangio speak, it, it just, it, it was motivation. And, and all of it, after being on this show, was motivation for me to push forward and, and use my voice for the future. What, you're, what you've done, in effect, making this move, has also been mirrored by a lot of people. More and more, there's been a, there's been a steady trickle of others like yourself who have said, I can't be in, say, Missouri or Texas or Florida. I have to get out. Yeah. Just gut reaction. What's your thoughts on those who are pulling up stakes? And in a, in a sense, why? I mean, ultimately, what is the, for people that may not get it, for people who may not understand, in a sense, the dynamic that's happening here, for those who don't get it, if someone says to you, why not just why not stay there and fight? Why pull up stakes? What would you say to them? I'm gonna continue to fight from a distance. Um, the 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 reason to pull up stake is quite frankly safety at this point. Um, I, I didn't feel safe. In Missouri, I, I'll be honest, when I was, even in Springfield, Springfield was supposed to be a 
city that is a little more liberal than where I grew up. But that tide changed in Springfield. And we saw that in the last um, school board election in Missouri that just has went haywire over there in Springfield. But it, I, I didn't feel comfortable even using public restrooms in Springfield. And I wouldn't. I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it on trips to 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 get the kids or anything like that. I, I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to it. The only possible way I'd ever do it is at a maybe at a rest area and if my wife was with me. But if I was alone, I wouldn't do it. Not anywhere in the only place maybe I'd feel safe is in the city, St. Louis, Kansas City, or Columbia. Much different ball game now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And I felt, and ever since I've been up here, I have not had any issues. I've not had the anxiety about it that I had had in Missouri. And yeah, it was also during the pandemic a little bit, but even after that, it still was there. And and my wife could see it and she's like, you know, let she she kind of helped facilitate and help show me what I needed because I needed to be shown what I really needed to make myself thrive even more so than I already was. When are we going to see you back on a pitch again? Hopefully soon. Now that I've got a place to live permanently, now that I know where I'm at, I'm going to, I'm in the process of doing that. I'm also looking into getting back into umpiring baseball. Not only do you officiate, you like getting out there again. So, because I remember for the interview we did two years ago, you talked about how, hey, I want to play, but I was really digging into the rules of the game, want to officiate. But now you're getting back out there. The Brockton Bruisers have a new recruit. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I joined them last month. Um, I had actually uh, met them at. Um, Plymouth Pride uh, in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and I signed up. Original intention to learn to learn the rules and referee, but I told my wife, I said, you know, maybe I really want to compete and and learn the skills and get out there. And you know, I I roller skated growing up, but it had been about twenty years since I'd been on skates. And last year for my birthday, my wife got me a, a pair of skates. I've been skating. And, and I've been out there the last, I've been with them for a month of practices and I'm getting there. It's slow, (laughs) Um, but you know, it's been great learning these skills and and learning something new. That's that honestly, I started really liking because we went to a roller derby match in Springfield just before the pandemic. (laughs) And so I was like, Oh, I think I want to get into that. And, you know, learn more about it and stuff. And of course the pandemic hit and just like everything else that blew everything up. And so, but yeah, it's been, they have been amazing. They have been welcoming, non-judgmental. It's been, it's been a breath of fresh air. It's, it's phenomenal. Now, how's your progress been going? I know it's only been a few practices, Yeah, but how's been, how's the progress? I think it's getting there. It's getting there. I, um, you know, the skating came back pretty, pretty natural to me. Um, 
So as far as the actual skating portion, that's been going pretty good. It's it's learning the the little skills, the the nuanced skills, the the stepping, the the side steps, things like that, and and even to to be honest, for the first time a couple of weeks ago we skated in a in a pack and that was a, a unique uh situation as i've never really skated that close to anybody in a long i know that that can get claustrophobic real quick can it it can especially when i was there was this one point where we were um switching position and somebody would call out who was going to move where and i was up in the front and they called me to to uh to move to the back and so me trying to be slick and avoid contact i slide to the outside and our coach goes nope go through the middle i'm like crap <laughs> so i had to <laughs> and that was a little i'm like okay well okay this works everybody went around me and it worked out so <laughs> no i'm just wondering since you were in that pack mm -hmm. didn't you have a talladega sort of feeling <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was a little bit like that. Yeah, that was. Actually, there was um, a, a drill we did where we were lined up in a straight line of three, and the person in the back was pushing us. And that really felt like <laughs> Daytona <laughs> Talladega. <laughs> exactly. That bump. Exactly. We're talking about that bump drafting right there. So, you know, one thing in case you don't know is that, I mean, you have two trans women here who are race fans, <laughs> who are racing fans here. So you yeah. know that. So you know those references are going to be flying. <laughs> I mean, see, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there right now. If we can ever get, if we can ever get Charlie Martin on the show, I want you to get. I want you to be the guest host for it. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I, you I would love to meet her. All right. So so just to note, Char Charlie Martin, Mark Blundell, MB Partners. You know. Let, hey, hey, call us. We want to do. We want to. We want to. We want to make this happen before before she goes to Portimao for the <laughs> World Finals of of um of Lamborghini Tro Super Trofeo. And that, just a quick note on that. Great season she's having, isn't it? Absolutely wonderful. Uh, on the podium multiple times, a couple of wins um, at at difficult tracks. She's yes. winning at difficult racetracks. Um, didn't she win at Road America? Yes, she did. She put up a put up a win at Road America. Ran well at ran well at the Glen. Ran ran well at Laguna Seca. Yeah, I mean, I I looked at that and I was like, and and just a reminder: tracks she's never actually put the first time she saw these tracks in person was that first practice. Mm-hmm. Not really having a chance outside of maybe didn't even have a test session going into Laguna Seca. Had a test session going into the Glen. But for the most part, she's seen these courses really on a set of Corsa in the mm -hmm. simulator. And simulate, and I know how realistic these simulators can get, but there's nothing like actually having to put contact patches on an actual on actual tarmac and run. And she's done pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. And and there the one thing we've we we're lucky in the US to have so many world-class road course facilities that we've had. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, like you said, the first time probably going down the corkscrew was probably an experience. At Laguna Seca. Well, yeah, that's the thing, but she had, but here's the thing. She handled it great. And also yeah. not only that, again, just the fan reaction. I mean, just the love out there, just the love out there. It, I mean, for myself, it was great seeing it. Mm -hmm. It was great, but it was also great to see American fans getting to see this story unfold here in this country. Yeah. I and I can tell you this much: I hope she comes back. Prefer, I agree. It, you I, know, perhaps I mean, perhaps Daytona twenty four next year. You know, uh, attention, certain certain team, some team owner. You need a good driver in the seat. Why not? Hey, why not Charlie? Put it in a car. Yeah. There's been several um, all-women teams put together for Daytona and things like that. She, she, I mean, put her in one of those, too. And that would be, you know, be fabulous to see. Oh, I, I'll tell you what. I'd make, If she was in the Daytona 24, I'd go down there for it. That's a bucket list race for me. I have been to a Daytona yeah. 24. There, it's a great time. Now, while we're at it, since we're going to talk about it, you know, Chase started this weekend, this past weekend, Southern 500. Who you got for the Chase? Who you got? You know, NASCAR's one I've been just getting back into, um, primarily because they're putting more effort into their LGBTQ diversity of late. Um, I mean, I know we had a bad run at Darlington, but boy, Chase Elliott's going to be tough. <laughs> he's he's got the experience but as many as many um teams that had problems at darlington it's anybody's it's anybody's championship with none of them winning at darlington it's it to me it throws it into a bigger toss-up at this point i personally would like to see the likes of uh, daniel suarez get get up there and get it get it i mean that would be great for nascar globally well, Suarez is the is after Darlington the last person in. The person I'm actually rooting for, though, the person I'm rooting for in this chase is Denny Hamlin. I'm still I I still think if there's a veteran that can pull through in this, it's it's Denny. I'm just wondering now, IndyCar down to the we're down to that that nitty gritty of the season. Who you got? It's it's Will Powers to lose at this point. Uh, he's he's just so good on on so many tracks and I, I would love to see Scott McLaughlin pull it off, but it's going to take a miracle. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's Will Powers to lose. I mean, a 20 point lead is not much, but he, he's, he can do it. He can do it. He's, he's, he's that veteran, but you still have to watch out for the one that's always there when you least expect it. And that's Scott Dixon. Scott. <laughs> and Scott Dixon, the heady vet, knows how to do this. Has done it. Knows how to. Has done it. Knows how to do it. I think it's going to be great. I mean, I think it's going to be a wild finish to the season. Yeah, it's going to. It's going to be a wild finish. I found it interesting at the end of the Portland race how the everybody, all five of them, were all kind of passive with their. Chances of, of of winning the IndyCar title, even even Will and Scott. I'm like, guys, <laughs> you, 
I mean, you, you've got the, which they know what can happen too. Anything can happen at Laguna Seca and, and, and yeah, I mean, anything can happen. Well, that's, that's one thing. If you've got to get, br- if, if one thing about Laguna Seca, remember Alex Zanardi's pass at Laguna Seca? Pass in the ground. Remember that one? Yeah. Rem- yeah. Remember down that one down the corkscrew. It's going to take bravery like that. But yeah. I mean, at another level, though, the person that they're most talking, but the person that they're most talking about is eighth in the standings, and that's Colton Herta. Yeah, I want to get a, I want to get a Robin Miller style prediction from you. <laughs> Will we see Colton Herta in Formula One, and if so, with who? If he goes, I think it's going to be AlphaTauri. Truthfully. I think Helmut Marco is gonna gonna snatch him up. The concern I have is that Ferrari is gonna find a way to block it. See, I mean Ferrari and Ferrari and Haas have already said that they don't they don't think they should bend the rules. But I also feel like that IndyCar kind of gets screwed by the FIA for the way that they they structure their super license points. I agree with that. See, I, I'm of I'm of a thought process that I agree with that. And personally, I've I've followed I've followed the 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 machinations of the FIA for more than forty years, and I can tell you, I've never understand how they do, why they do. I think he might does. I mean, my my prediction is Colton Herta will not be in Formula One next year, but he will be in Formula One in 2024, and he will drive for Andretti Global. I can, in fact, I will get the Andretti Global team lineup. I'll say it right now because I'm going to make the, I'm going to give you the hot take. Andretti Global's team lineup will be Colton Herta and Paddle Award. That would I'm going to call, lineup. I'm going to, I'm going to call that one right now. Yeah. What's your thoughts on all of a sudden this American surge to Formula One? That all of a sudden that Americans love this stuff. I love it. The one exception I have is I'm not a big fan of the Vegas race. Okay, why not? It's another street circuit. F1's got enough of those. We have other circuits here in the U.S. that are better circuits that they could run that don't honestly could use. They could, for one, use the upgrade, but two, it probably wouldn't be as much of a financial burden on those racetracks as the financial burden is going to be on the city of Las Vegas to put that race together. Well, I'm not sure. I like the idea of a street race down the strip. I like the idea Mm -hmm. of it. But I'm pretty sure somebody back in the early 80s liked the idea of having a race in Vegas and it turned out to be a disaster. (laughs) In a parking lot? Yeah, in the parking lot at Caesar's Palace. Yeah. Quick note coming down the home stretch though, because you know we got to get into the got to get into a nerd geek part of the program here. Yes, and we know you get your sci. We know we get your sci. You get your sci-fi on seriously. <laughs> yes, so, I do. I'm just wondering, what are you binging right now? What's your what is your go-to right now? Um, my go-to is always Star Trek in some form. One of them, uh, Mar- Matter of fact, we just watched the second episode of the third season of Lower Decks. Uh, 
Come on, no spoilers. That, I haven't seen it yet now. No, <laughs> it, it, it's that show has been phenomenal. All three seasons just have been killer so far. I'm also in the middle of a rewatch of Discovery. And I'm in season four, the beginning of season four. And just I, I fallen in love again with with how they present things on Discovery. It just you know, I'm at the episode where um Gray is getting his body. And right. that that episode just <laughs> I don't know how many times because I, I tend to watch an episode when I'm at lunch from work in the car. <laughs> and I don't know how many times I'm out there wiping tears away from crying <laughs> from so many, so many things. You know, Doug Jones, just each episode continues to get better and better as Saru. And some of the some of his monologues are just absolutely brilliant, too. And I'm a, become a huge fan of Blue and Ian through that show. Now, no, actually, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to pick Discovery back up again. Now that I've lost, now that I've lost my main binge, I'm getting. And now that now that Laura Dex is back, following that along every week. For, um, the main binge was that for all mankind. Yes, I, I need to catch up on that. <laughs> all I all I'm gonna tell you is it was a, the 1990s got what the. The one thing, though, each decade was was really, really yeah. cool. The first season, the 1970s, a lot of people complained about it, and they kind of, like, backed away from the series. Then, the 1980s was so... If if 1983 was like that, with the actual 1983 is like that show, I would have loved it, because it was lit. I mean, electric... I mean, you had electric cars, you had... You had the cell phone. You had the Nokia brick phones in ten years <laughs> early. I'm all for that. Uh, and then, and then the '90s. This last season, like I know you haven't seen. It. I'm not going to spoil it. Yeah. All I can say is that was if the 1990s had ended had ended up like that, it was no. That would have been a hell of a decade. Yeah. It would have been a. I mean, flat screens in the '90s. Can run with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'm I'm about halfway through season two on that show, and so I'm I'm really excited. I'm eventually going to pick it back up at some point, but <clears throat> so I'm just looking forward to my next. I'm looking forward to like my binges are between like getting back into like getting into um getting into Lord X, mm-hmm. Strange New Worlds, kind of dipping a toe into that. She Hulk dipping a toe into that, and yeah, um, like looking forward to Ted Lasso winning yes. if it comes out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's been one of my favorites. Oh, that's been so good. That was so it was so good of um, a show. It just go ahead. I want to get your view on that one though. Mm-hmm. How come people? Why do you think people have embraced that so much? Why do you think people have think, just embraced Ted Lasso? I think it's the positivity. We don't we don't see a lot of that in in a lot of uh, modern television anymore, and there's a lot of positivity, a lot of heart, a lot of heart in that show, and you see it in the actors in the way they portray their characters too, and and again, there's the comedy is is hilarious. Brett Golds Brett Goldstein, uh, Roy, just oh everybody <laughs> loves Roy Kent, everybody. 
absolutely brilliant. But you see, you see, you see characters grow. You see characters change, and there's again, I can't say the word heart enough for that show. It just is a the believe factor, and it just makes you believe in humanity again. This next season, I'm feeling is going to be, and they're saying it's the possible last season. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be a conflict year, especially between Ted and Nate yep. and himself, Rebecca against her villainous ex-husband who now has taken over the team that Nate now manages. So this yeah. is gonna, there's going to be so much. I, I look forward to it. Yeah. With that in mind, exit question. Because since we had, since got a little Ted Lasso positivity, I want to end it on a positive note. Because I know you've had a lot of life change happen. Yes. New play, getting used to a new place, getting used to, I mean, it's a mark, as a transplanted Midwestern, I can tell you, New England is different. (laughs) But one thing is that you have managed to keep your head up through all this and push forward and now get back, get established in what you do as an official and also getting established in a whole new sport. In fact, one of the most inclusive sports Mm -hmm. with all this in mind, where are you finding your trans joy now? That's a tough one. That's a good one. Um, (laughs) um, living my life every day, Without fear, being able to be myself, um, I'm much happier. I'm a happier person now. Um, being out there on a on a on a on a roller derby team that's accepting and 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 just welcoming from the beginning gives me gives me a lot of joy. I mean, I feel I can openly talk about myself and and i'll be honest i i work in a my regular job i work in a male dominated field and they have been wonderful i've been able to be open about who i am about myself with my co-workers at work and have hadn't haven't had any issues with them and it's it's a completely different different aspect from what missouri was like and uh, I am I'm I'm happy to be able to be me without fear. That's good seeing you out there again, living living your truth and being you without fear. Jacqueline Harper Grubb, friend of the podcast, friend. Just friend in general and fellow sister, thank you for being on the transporter room this week. And don't worry, as you go through this roller derby journey, we're going to want you back. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's always fun and a pleasure. Okay, we're going to beam you back down to Massachusetts. And special thanks to Jacqueline Harper Grubb. Good to you. In fact, it was two years ago this week that Jacqueline graced us with her presence. And we got to know her. And through that became a part of the Transporter Room Nation. And before we go this week, I have a few words I want to say about 
what has gone down. The nightmare of Kiwi Farms has ended, but let's not get it twisted. Someone else is going to try and get in and fill that vacuum. I know it and you know it. Transphobia never sleeps, unfortunately. But I, I have a special message, especially to those in Transporter Room Nation who are, I'm looking at the cisgender members of the nation. I need to talk to you for a second. I need to minister to you. Because let's be real about the way some people are thinking. Some people are thinking, yeah, trans, yeah, Kiwi Farns is bad, but you know, it's a different it 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 it's a very bad thing for free speech. Or and for some people who may not be a part of Transporter Room Nation, they have an issue with trans people in general. And let's get one thing clear. As a journalist and as a person for whom the First Amendment is is a linchpin of my of my business. What you saw at Kiwi Farms is not a free speech issue. Do they have a right to to exist as a forum as for whatever reason they do, but hate speech and free speech are not the same thing. And in fact, I'm going to say it 101% 101% of the anti-trans nonsense that was on that site was hate speech. And I'm not just saying this somebody's an outside observer. I'm saying it is somebody whose name was mentioned by them, who was called everything but a child of God by them. And I'm not shedding a tear for its demise. But it's not, but you but the thing is, Kiwi Farms is a symptom of a larger disease. And the real question that we have to look at right now, whether it's this issue or anti-trans bills or whatever, is those who are standing outside, on the outside looking in. Do you believe that transgender people have humanity and rights that you're bound to respect? That is the real question that we're dealing with here in regards to this legislation, in regards to this social climate, in regards to a head of state who openly says that trans women aren't women, who celebrate who celebrates right now as you're hearing this podcast, her third day as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. The answer to your question is going to say a lot. And it's going to tell me where you stand when the next Kiwi Farms rises out of some corner of the internet. And it will happen again. Or when the next anti-trans bill is suggested in the legislature. And you can be rest assured, those are coming. We've already had more than 200. And we're going to have more and more people calling for these things, especially as we go through this election year to come. If, the trans, if you don't think the trans people in your life aren't looking at this election that's coming up in the United States, think again. Because we are. It's going to happen the next time that a hospital gets a bomb threat because that hospital is acting in concert with the advice of medical professionals around the globe and what they say about affirming care. 
what's happened at Boston Children's Hospital, where literally a bomb threat shut the place down when medical professionals are being targeted and being threatened. That shouldn't happen. Your answer is going to tell on you the next time that a bunch of transphobic, feminist Karens are picketing a competing athlete simply because they are trans and they are a woman. The next time I'm asking, where will you stand? Will you not stand? Will you maybe be indifferent? Will you be an ally with quotes around it? Or will you be an ally without quotes? Are you ready to stand at the barricades? The same way that Keffels and a lot of other people stood at the barricades and said, enough. Your answer will say volumes about you. Also, notice I say every week, if there's something you want to see or something you want to say or someone you want to see here at the Transporter Room, leave a message on our Twitter page, leave it on our Facebook page, and leave it at our Instagram page, Transporter Room 10 Forward. Never forget, everything that I do here at the Transporter Room, I do it for all of you, the people who support us. And that's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. Live long and prosper and steady as she goes. I'll catch you all next week.